Hey, come on, y'all. Been slaving over this for hours. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox. Mm. Dear Lord Baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your Baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. <sighs> Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. And I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight-pound, six-ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have accrued over this past season, also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace, I just want to say the Powerade is delicious, mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. Amen. Oh, man. I really like that clip. Oh. When you're a minister, you know, in the family, everybody wants you to say that Grace at dinner, I'm going to whip that out this year. <laughs> so there is a huge disconnect, isn't there, at Christmas time between the, the infant Jesus and the almighty God that we serve, between a baby who needs to be cared for and a God, we hope, can take care of us. It's, it's kind of a disconnect between the Christmas story and like all the rest of what we do, it seems. Um, and there's also a disconnect in our lives, I think, um, this, uh, this is the Sunday of peace, it's been said a few times. Second Sunday of Advent is the Sunday of peace. And now, this past summer, I was preaching on the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the service, I said, if you want to come forward, there are uh, eight different fruit of the Spirit mentioned in the Bible. Love, peace, uh, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you want to come down here, we'll anoint you with oil. You can pray for, that the Holy Spirit would give you any, any one of those you like. And then you came forward. And about 95% of you prayed for peace, 
which is odd with eight to choose from, that 95% of you about chose peace. I, I stood down here and I thought, what is happening in our church? So I still hadn't figured it out. So in November, I sent out a survey and about over 100 of you responded. So thank you. And I just asked, what is it that's destroying your peace? And here are your answers. 18% of you said all the hate and division in our country and in the world. 16% of you said your own busyness is destroying your peace. 12% just said politics. Now, I wonder if that doesn't belong up there with the hate, division, and bigotry, which would make that 30%. But I'll just take it as you said it. Uh, 12% politics. 11% career and work. School was in there too. Uh, 9% just said anxiety. 8% said family turmoil. And then 6% of you, which 10 years ago, this wouldn't have even been on there. 6% of you just said two words, social media. 5% financial worries. And 4% bad health. Now notice the changing trends in our culture and even in our congregation. More of you are worried about hate, bigotry, and division in the nation and the world than your own busyness. More of you said that politics is stealing your peace than said things going on in your jobs or in your own family. More of you said social media than finances or health. What does an infant Jesus bring us when what we're being tormented by is bigotry and division and hate and politicians and things going around on social media? This is the Sunday of peace. How do we have peace in a culture that's taking shape this way? So uh, we're spending our Christmas season this year looking at Christmas music, each week a different song. And this week, I want us to look at the song, Lo, How a Rose Air Blooming, which you might not know, but you will by the end. This is our most obscure Christmas song for the series. They get more popular as we go after this. This one first appeared in German in 1599, and uh, it starts out, Lo, how a rose air blooming. From tender stem hath sprung, of Jesse's lineage coming, as men of old have sung. It came a floweret bright, amid the cold of winter, when half spent was the night. Of Jesse's lineage coming, it says. That goes right back to where the Old Testament passage we studied last week about King Josiah and the family tree of King David because David's father's name was Jesse. So the family tree of Jesse is also the family tree of King David. Now you may know that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, God makes a promise to David and he says, David, one of your descendants is going to be on the throne forever, which is a very exciting promise. But as you know from our passage last week, David's family tree collapses then very quickly. In a few generations, it collapses into ritual prostitution, uh, pagan idol worship, uh, even child sacrifice. And then God destroys the nations of Israel and Judah, so the, the family tree of David is over after God made that promise. So people came to see David or the line of Jesse as kind of like this tree stump. It might have grown into something magnificent, but it got cut off and died. But then later in the Bible, there begins, begins to be prophecies from the prophets that even though Dave, the, the, the lineage of Jesse was unfaithful to God, God is going to be faithful and keep his promise anyway. And the stump is going to sprout again. 
One of those prophecies comes 300 years before Jesus. The prophet Zechariah says, Listen, O high priest Joshua, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. 500 years before Jesus, the prophet Jeremiah says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just in the land. Now, for the rest of our Christmas song, then, Jesus is referred to as a rose that's sprouting from Jesse's family tree. Uh, it said, Isaiah, twas foretold it, this rose I have in mind. With Mary we behold it, the virgin mother kind, to show God's love aright. She bore to men a savior when half spent was the night. Isaiah, twas foretold it. That was another prophet. This one, 800 years before Jesus. He says a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And then earlier in Isaiah, all right then, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, when Mary has her son, she names him Yeshua, which means God saves us. The song says he's coming to show God's love aright. What's that mean? It means he's not coming to show God's love a wrong. So so there's something about the infant, little eight pound, six ounce Jesus, so cuddly, that is, is not a disconnect. It's showing us God's love aright. To understand that, we'll have to go a little deeper. Our song says, This flower whose fragrance tender with sweetness fills the air. Now, the top two things on your list, that things that destroy your peace, were hate, bigotry, division in the country and the world, and busyness. So, yes, we could use some sweetness to fill the air right now, couldn't we? Dispels with glorious splendor the darkness everywhere. Number three and four spots on your list, uh, politics and things going on at your work. Yes, Lord Jesus, come and dispel this darkness that's everywhere. True man, yet very God. From sin and death, he saith. Okay, so from sin and death. Now, the next things on our list were anxiety, family turmoil, and social media. But all the song says is that he comes to save us from sin and death. Now, death doesn't even make the list. Uh, well, death makes the list. It's like the last thing if you count the 4% of you who said bad health. Sin doesn't make our list at all, you know, unless you're counting other people's sin. Sin doesn't make our list at all unless you count other people's sin. Ninety-five percent of us pray for peace, and when asked, what is stealing your peace? Our answer is, well, all that hate and bigotry out there and all those politicians up there and and all those people in my family back there and all those nuts out there on social media. All things beyond our control. All things to do with other people. We want control over things we can never have control over. Even if we could, we'd like to control the whole country. 
even in the whole world. No wonder we don't have peace and we can't have peace. Because what we want, Jesus can't give us. And what Jesus has come to give us, we don't know that we want. He came to show God's love aright. Do you believe that? That he came to show God's love aright? Do you believe that today? Then let's consider what we see in Jesus. Did he promise to remove the hate and division from everyone else's heart? Or from your heart? Did he say that everyone else needs to get their priorities straight and avoid all this pointless busyness? Or did he say, Martha, you need to consider what's making you so busy. Is it less important or more important? Did Jesus say he'd come to manage politicians for us? Or did he say, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's? Our family turmoil, do you find that Jesus usually leads you to tighter control over your family? Or does he tend to lead you toward greater patience and greater love and more forgiveness? And if social media existed, what would Jesus say about it? Can you picture Jesus rose each morning as was his custom and checked all of his feeds. What does it profit you to see all the human misery going on everywhere in the world all day long and to be unable to do anything about 99% of what you see? Well, I want to be informed. Is that, is that why you do that? You want to be informed? I mean, if it's really important for you to know those things, won't it come to you in the course of a day? If it's really essential that you know those things, won't it come to you in your life because it's important? If you have to look at an electronic device or service to see those things, then is it really real to you? It's real to those people who live there, but you know, they knew about it because it happened to them. Meanwhile, what goes on around you that isn't being paid attention to? Well, I keep up with my family on social media. I keep up with what the grandkids are doing. I, I run my business on social media. That's good. That's all good. Go on there and do that. How, how long in a day does that take? I, I just, I see a lot of people out in public now. And I see, observe people in their own homes. And they're physically present with their families. But their mind and their attention is on everywhere else in the world. And someday you will say, this life was too short. There wasn't enough time. I wish I would have. Do you want the replay to be how you did spend your life to look like this? The Hope Center giving tree sits right in the room behind us. 
Somebody should do something about racism and someone should do something about poverty and someone should do something about reconciliation. And you can do that as you walk out. You can take an ornament from that tree and everything written on there is something that that inner city ministry needs. And you buy that and you put it under the tree and the day after Christmas it is delivered. Respite care. Somebody ought to do something about the breakdown of the family and all the kids in foster care and all the people who care for kids who are in foster care. And that happened right here in the building last night. You could have done that. For three and a half hours a month, you could do something about that thing that everyone should do something about. The refugee crisis making it crazy. There's a table right now in the lobby. And one gift on that table is worth more than 10,000 angry tweets. Find a refugee and ask him, would you like me to provide kits for folks who are in a bad spot? Or would you just like me to post for a year? Let them pick. All you need to be this responsible citizen that you're trying to be, God is bringing into the room with you. All you need to do the right thing is already within arm's reach of you. The difference you could make is at hand. Maybe this would make more sense if I just shared my own story. I've never been a social media person, but when I got Netflix, um, I watched one documentary about uh, energy, you know, how big energy is destroying the whole world. Well, once you watch one thing on Netflix, it's like, oh, you like that? You'd like these. A whole slew of these things. You know, they won't let us have electric cars and they pollute the environment. They're destroying the power grid in California. And, you know, it's all going to hell. And I got so angry. I was so informed about all the things I should be terribly angry about. Now, I couldn't do anything about 99% of it, but doggone it, I was angry. And then I started noticing all of you were not as angry as you should be about this horrible thing going on. So I started coming in. I would use some of these examples from things I saw in documentaries in sermons. Now, there wasn't anything you could do about it except let's just all be angry together. And it started driving people from the church. It started driving the peace out of my heart. And I finally realized I have to stop watching this stuff. And I don't mean watch it a little less or lighten up. I mean, I had to stop watching it. It wasn't that I stopped caring. I still do things in my house and the way I try to live based on what I think about energy. I still vote the way I vote with that in mind. But I just couldn't let Netflix pop up and show me, here's something else to be terrified and angry about today. Now, Paul, he traveled the whole Mediterranean world, and everywhere he went, he would raise money for the people suffering back in Jerusalem. So the Christian work has always gone out global, and Christian work has always worked with everyone all over the world. So when I come to church, and my brothers and sisters here want to tell me about the cold winters in Anapra, Mexico, I listen to that, and then I go home, and we make a big financial sacrifice to try to help with that. And when God uses the church to tell me about the women who are suffering in Dignity Liberia, and we have the Liberia post office and, and, and more than that, then I explain to my kids why the suffering of those women and their healing is more important than us having a bigger house or, or dad driving a car that you don't you know, ask that I drop you off a block away from where you're going. But I can't let electronic media torture me about everything that's happening everywhere in the world all day long because then I just get worked up and so what Garrett's worked up what does that do and then I get worked up because you're not worked up and I come and abuse everybody in the church because you're not worked up enough about the stuff I'm worked up about 
And you're mad because I'm not worked up about the stuff you're worked up about. Now we're in the negative. See, when the Lord troubles you, when the Lord disturbs your peace, he gives a calling on the backside of that, a change that you can make, a redeeming action you can take. God doesn't steal your peace just so he can steal your peace. In Mercy Street, we have to say this prayer every week um, because we're all a bunch of addicts and we want to control everything and that's why we do all the crazy stuff that we do. So we have to pray every week, God, give me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as the pathway to peace. Taking, as Jesus did, this sinful world as it is, and not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. So if you've been without peace, don't leave this sanctuary and go back to just doing exactly the same things you've been doing. And don't do this, keep doing the same things that 95% of everyone else is doing or you'll never have peace. If we want peace, we'll have to do something different. And I don't mean a little bit different. I mean radically different. Jesus said, if you want to defeat the power of sin in your life, now how do we switch, switch to sin? Because you know what sin is, right? I mean, sin is not the stuff that makes God mad. Sin is the stuff that destroys us. Sin is the stuff that destroys the work of God in us. Now, God doesn't like it because we're his children. Just like if there's something in your children's lives that we're destroying them, you'd be mad that that was happening because you care about your children. So if something's stealing our peace and driving peace out of our life, then that's a sin because we can't live like that very long. Jesus says, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand than to go into the unquenchable fire of hell with two hands. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter eternal life with only one foot than to be thrown into hell with two feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. It's better to enter the kingdom of God with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the maggots never die and the fire never goes out. For everyone will be tested with fire. Salt is good for seasoning. But if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Many of you must, oh, sorry, you must have the qualities of salt among yourselves and live in peace with each other. We're agents of Christ. We go out into the work world and do the redeeming work he's given us to do, but we do it with the flavor of peace. Jesus did things, but the peace of the Holy Spirit was not driven from him. Let's take a second look at this list and, and let's pare it down to the things that don't have to do with other people. Let's look at the things from within us. Busyness, work and school, anxiety, some family turmoil, finances, some health items. Ew. I mean, that's really hard too. I think I'm starting to see why we'd rather like, focus on everybody else's sin. This, is, this stuff's hard. But right here is where the good news comes from. 
The last verse of the song. O Savior, child of Mary, who felt our human woe. O Savior, King of glory, who dost our weakness know. Bring us at length, we pray, to the bright courts of heaven and to the endless day. Jesus felt our human woe. Jesus knows our weakness. Jesus experienced everything on that list. Jesus knows the despair of living in a bigoted and divided world. In his day, the Jews and the Romans hated each other, and there were all kinds of different Jews that fought amongst themselves, and they all hated each other. Jesus knew busyness and exhaustion. Jesus knew crooked politicians. Jesus had to make a living. He experienced family turmoil and financial worries. Jesus dealt with sickness and death in his daily life, and that makes Jesus a safe person for us. Because, right, you never want to be comforted by someone who's never faced what you're facing. Have you ever done this? You're going through a hard time, and then somebody who's never gone through that has some wise words for you, right? And they're always terrible and not helpful. This is an extreme example, but I knew a gal. I didn't know a gal. I read about a gal who had survived the uh, Nazi Holocaust. And then after the war, she came to live with her family in America, and she never had told them what really went on in the concentration camp. But eventually she decided that she wanted to share that with them. And so she started to tell her story of what she had gone through. And she had just gotten started when her family waved their finger at her and said, now, don't tell us your sob story. It was hard everywhere. We had hard times here in America too. We had to wait in long lines just to buy cigars. Jesus doesn't do that to us. Jesus knows. We were just studying in... uh, Hebrews chapter 3 yesterday at men's breakfast, uh, that because Jesus became man, it makes him a faithful and merciful Savior. A faithful and a merciful Savior who knows because he's been there. I need someone who's walked the walk that I'm walking, and that's Jesus. That's why it's so important for him to be, as the song says, true man yet very God. That's why it's so important for him to be little eight pounds, six ounce baby Jesus with your fist all balled up, so, but still omnipotent. (laughs) That's what brings us peace is because God's saying, I'm going to walk the whole walk. I'm going to go all the way back to the very beginning. I'm going to go all the way back to the very beginning. I'm going to walk the whole humanity walk. I will know. I will know, and I will be a faithful and merciful Savior. And so, when we see all the hate in the world, we don't have to say, oh, that's hopeless, that's too big for me, I don't want to hear about that. We can pray, Lord Jesus, are you disturbing me with what I am hearing? Or am I disturbing myself? Do you want me to be involved in this in some way? Or is it enough right now for me to focus on my own heart And the division that lives there. And then listen to God and hear. If he's calling you to work on your own heart, he'll send the Holy Spirit to give you the peace to do that. If he's calling you to get involved, he'll send the Holy Spirit to give you the empowerment to do that. Either way, you will have the peace of knowing you are in the will of God. That is just one prayer from the list of things that destroy peace that you gave us that are at these prayer stations. As you come down for communion here in in a minute, if you like, you don't have to, but if you want, 
You can come and kneel at this long table. And there's a prayer for each item. You can just turn through until you find the one for the thing that destroys your peace. And, and, and offer a prayer to God. The same things are at the prayers at the edges. After communion, if you'd rather, you can kneel. And offer that to God. Go in peace.